This is the Monday, October 26th, 2015 episode of the History Author Show. Visit our iHeartRadio channel or subscribe on iTunes to enjoy a brand new episode every Monday morning. Oh, New York ain't New York anymore. How I miss those old pals of mine. The sawdust is gone from the floor. Where we harmonize, sweet Adeline, on the east side, west side, things ain't like before. There are tears in the eyes of the regular guys, oh, New York ain't New York anymore. Hello and welcome. This is the History Author Show. Thank you for finding us on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spreaker, or one of the other outlets you have available at your fingertips. Again, we know you have a lot of options out there, so thank you for spending a few minutes with us. Today, our topic is the most infamous failed assassination attempt in American history, when John Wilkes Booth's gun misfired and Abraham Lincoln escaped certain death. We'll never know how history would have changed if Lincoln had died that day at Ford's Theater. Maybe he'd be held in higher esteem than he is today, without having gone through the messy work of reconstruction and the- Whoa, what if Booth's gun had misfired like Richard Lawrence's did when he attempted to assassinate President Andrew Jackson? Or what if we could blast off to a Mars colony founded by Carthaginians, or head 250,000 years into the past and find a race of giants dominating the continent of Africa? Today's guest, Jordan Harbour, explores stories like these at the Twilight Histories podcast. And like a David Lynch film, things just keep getting weirder. It's sci-fi with elements of alternate history in the best tradition of The Outer Limits, Rod Serling, and the old radio serials that I personally just love. Jordan fuels his imagination and his stories with facts and applies real-world experience. He earned a BA in Anthropology and Greek and Roman Studies and worked as an archaeologist in the Middle East, Europe, and his native Canada. For people who just can't get enough of Twilight Histories, Jordan also offers members-only content, something that speaks not only to the hunger for this genre, but to the quality of Jordan's product. The Twilight Histories is a podcast, Jordan says, that should be listened to in the dark. So turn out the lights, lower the brightness on your smartphone, and enjoy my interview with Jordan Harbour. If you dare. You wake in a strange room. Your clothes are foreign and the walls are covered in objects from a different world. You don't know where or when you are, or if you're still dreaming. There are footsteps in the hall. Jumping up, you race out of the room and into the streets. You have just entered the Twilight Histories. I'm on the line with Jordan Harbour, who, unlike our usual guests, takes journeys to times and places that don't exist, meets people that maybe haven't been born yet. Jordan, thank you so much for making the time for the History Author Show today. Yeah, really appreciate you having me on your show. This is great. I have been a real fan of the Twilight Histories, I guess, since you started, because I love the whole idea of it. I love the graphic that comes up on my phone when I'm listening <laughs> to you. It feels vaguely subversive. And even if you're <laughs> on the subway or on a plane or anywhere and that comes up and you hear your intro, it sounds 
like something exciting is happening. You're getting that feeling that it's midnight on Channel 11 here in the New York City <laughs> area and that you heard that Twilight Zone music as a kid and you pulled the sheet a little bit over your face, right? But you couldn't look away. And <laughs> so I wanted to start by asking uh, cool, you, thanks. hey, well, it's the truth. As I say, it's always easy to say that. So I wanted to ask what your germ of inspiration was for the show. Yeah, well, I was really into film before. Like this is back in, I guess, the uh, mid to late 2000s. I was investing a lot of money into it, a lot of time. It's a huge investment to do film because you, um, it's a lot of investment for the payoff at the end, which you're never quite satisfied with it. It's never Hollywood. What happened was a miracle. The recession hit and, you know, me like countless millions lost our jobs. Suddenly I didn't have access to film the way that I did before. So I had to change mediums. I still wanted to create. And so I kind of moved into podcasting. It was kind of the low budget end. But what I discovered is you can create a high quality experience with not a lot of money and with not a lot of people. You know, I can do it on my own. And really you're working with people's imaginations rather than kind of artificially creating that visual experience for people. That was kind of what moved me into podcasting, kind of what inspired me in the podcasting genre. There was a number of different podcasters at that time. This is late 2000s. There was Hardcore History. I really liked the kind of the emotional power punch that that gave you. You know, it was history, but it was very exciting history. The kind of history that kind of, if I was doing some lawn work or some painting or something, I'd kind of have to stop and kind of take a breath because it really hit home. And then the other was Ancient Rome Refocused, which was focused on Rome. But this guy, Rob Kane, he did a lot of creative writing. So he'd have these creative writing segments that had, you know, music and sound effects, and they'd really draw you in. And one of his shows, it was called Time Travel is Easy, History is Hard. And in this one, he kind of placed you in that position of being a time traveler. And so you were going back to ancient Rome and walking the streets and meeting the people and, and, and having challenges that you as a modern 21st century person with your set of morals and values would come against integrating into Roman society. So things like slavery and violence. So I would say those two were probably the most influential on the Twilight histories, um, kind of that combination of emotional power punch with travel through time. I think it's great that you were able to turn it into a positive. I always love that sort of thing. And that you decided to turn it to something that was creative. And you didn't tie yourself down to one genre. I mean, you started with the alternate history things, which I love all that sort of writing or books or movies or Churchill even did one, which is kind mm -hmm. of crazy when you think about it. It's a double blind where he's writing from a world where Lee won the Battle of Gettysburg and imagining what a world would be like where he lost. There's, of course, the Harry Turtle Dove, Philip K. Dick. And I love that stuff. But mm -hmm. your show really is more like the old radio serials. At least I see it that way. You can disagree. If you've heard X minus one or, of course, everyone's familiar with the Twilight Zone television show, you can go anywhere your imagination takes you. And that adds so much, I think, to the experience, because when I download your next episode, I don't know quite where I'm going to go. It's not just another mm -hmm. going back in time and killing Hitler or 
Confederacy wins the Battle of Gettysburg or something like that. It's always a little something different. So I wanted to ask, though, because you did a lot of that alternate history and then branched out, what were your fictional inspirations over the years? The podcast started off in the early, early days as where you were just exploring historical eras. And I pulled down a lot of those old shows, which were kind of experiments over the years. But what happened was, you know, you travel back to Rome once and then you've done Rome. And I wanted to be able to explore something a bit more expansive than just that. So alternate history was something I kind of rediscovered over the course of podcasting. There was another guy, Matt Mitrovich from Alternate History Weekly Update, who he started his blog at the same time I started Twilight Histories. And we kind of became, I guess, friends, internet friends over the years. And I was reminded, oh yeah, there's this thing called alternate history where you can go to different worlds and suddenly your options are infinite. So I kind of latched on to that concept of alternate history. Now I kind of feel like, you know, I don't want to just hitch myself to something that, you know, is kind of genre-based and, you know, what if Lee won the Civil War or whatnot. Really, it's moving more into science fiction. So we've explored a futuristic world, you know, an alternate history in the future where um, robots took over the world. We're going to be doing ones where you have species from alternate histories that kind of branched off and they weren't humans. They were a different species, like a, a species of giants. And they became super tech. And now we're communicating back and forth with these people from these different species. So it's becoming more expansive. I, I want to see how far we can push it, really. But sorry, that kind of moves away from your question, which was what fiction... No, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> what fiction inspired it. I have read some alternate history. I'm not as well-versed as I would like to be, and I, I keep pushing myself in that department. One that I really like is uh, S.M. Sterling. And he wrote a series that I connect with, which is Island in a Sea of Time. And the concept is there was this island, Nantucket, and it takes place in the 90s, I guess, when the book was written. And some kind of wormhole hits the island, the whole island. And the whole island is brought back in time to the Bronze Age, near the fall of the Bronze Age. So all these people that are kind of modern Americans are suddenly faced with being put into the fall of the Bronze Age. And they come with all their ideas and their high tech and there's a plane and they have a limited amount of gasoline and they have to adapt to their new circumstances and try to survive and then interact with the cultures that are there and discover that these people are actually incredibly intelligent and they can take their technology and do marvelous things with it and become competitive with them. And so it's quite interesting. You know, I, I like the way that it kind of pushes the boundaries and yet still stays within the realm of plausibility. Yeah, you don't have to work hard to suspend disbelief in a story when it's done well, I find. And I just enjoy the craft of writing. I mean, most of the people that mm -hmm. we talk to are authors in print, which is something I wanted to follow up mm -hmm. later. But to me, if you haven't read all that, that may explain, not that it needs an explanation, but the fact that your stuff is always very fresh to me. I don't feel like I've gone to this particular alternate Rome or this particular alternate version of the Soviet Union after Hitler wins or anything a million times. You seem to come to it from a pretty fresh perspective. One of the things that you do is 
write your show in the second person. I was just listening to Napoleon in Afghanistan. And that's something where if you didn't have this freedom of deciding you would use the podcasting medium, you're not going to get that published through a traditional (laughs) (laughs) publishing outfit because that's so rare. People don't like the second person. I, I just recall from the books I've read on writing that they don't want to publish that because it's kind of an older style. But you make it work. And in this medium where you're going for a narrow audience, it's still sizable, but it's not people that are going to be turned off by it. You have that flexibility. And I just wondered if anybody ever brought that up to you and said, wow, the the second person, that's unique to bring me in like that. Definitely something that people notice and comment on. There's a lot that I can say about the second person. It's something that attached myself to right at the beginning. And the reason why I did, and it, it wasn't to be sort of controversial or, you know, something a lot of new writers will do is they'll do something which they think is really revolutionary, but is actually really annoying to people. Yeah, It's not even new. They're playing with things that they're being advised not to use, such as a second person. And they use it anyways, because they think that it's creative, but it's really not. And I was kind of aware of that. You know, I didn't want to do it in order to be stand out and be different. I was a bit self-conscious about that. But the reason why I did it was because I thought that it could work in an audio setting. I don't think that it could work well in print. And I've had people say, you know, you could take all of your stories and wrap them up in, in a book of short stories and then sell it. And I have to say, no, no, that could not possibly work because it's written in the second person. But the reason why I did it was listening to other podcasts, especially the ones that I mentioned, you know, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, where he's immersive, you know, you feel like you're being brought in. And even more so with Rob Kane's Ancient Rome Refocused, he did that one episode where he's asking you to be the time traveler and to come back in time and experience Rome in the second person. I saw that it could work, and I thought, that's neat, I like it, I'm going to give it a try. There are some kind of drawbacks I couldn't have really anticipated at the time when I decided to do it. The main one is gender. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense. You know, so I'm always very conscious of trying to create characters like the you character, you come into this world, and trying not to have the characters around you identify you by gender. Huh. I never even thought of it, which just shows how much it brings you into it by being addressed and told, oh, welcome, there you are. Yeah. And a lot like the early video games, I guess, that were just text or sort of like that. Yeah. And that's why the short story wouldn't work in this format necessarily, because you know it's not you, it's just written. Anyone could be picking up this book. But when you listen to a Twilight Histories episode, it's addressing you. And especially Mm -hmm. if you listen to it in the dark, as you suggest, then it's really strange. This voice comes out of nowhere and is talking to you, right? Yeah. And as you say that, I'm reminded of, um, I studied ancient Greek in university and everything is written, all the stelae, you know, all the text is written in the second person. You know, as you're walking through a grave, a necropolis, you would see an inscription and it would be written to you and it would say, you traveler, (laughs) you have, you've now stepped on the grave of such and such and and he did this and he did that. And the idea was that you would read this out loud. You know, they didn't really have a concept of silent reading. If you were to walk into a library, you'd probably hear people reading out loud. Hmm. That's a little tangential, but. uh, (laughs) No, that's good. I 
hey, that's the kind of thing. Now we know when we go back in one of your adventures, this is the kind of thing that people, at least I want to pick up on. You weave a lot of those details into it. And I guess that's your background, which we should give people a little bit of. You're an archaeologist and this is your training, as you were just saying. So you spent a lot of time in the past before you brought it to the present for us. Well, I was an archaeologist. I studied archaeology. It was one of those childhood dreams that my parents didn't quash. They probably should have told me to, you know, also study business or something that could earn me some money. <laughs> it, was, it was that but or I, uh, playing goalie for the Canucks, was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's these. Uh, it's, it was my knees that kept me out. But yeah, I studied Greek and Roman studies and did anthropology as well and did some work in the field. I did some work in the Middle East, in Ireland, and later became a contract archaeologist in Canada for a while. But I very quickly discovered that that's not the career that I wanted to pursue for the rest of my life. You know, I was digging at the sides of highways and hiking through forests, following GPS and living out of hotels and not making that much money. And I asked one of the um, senior archaeologists who had white hair, can you actually get married with this job? Can you, you know, have a home? And he said, you want to get married? Get out right now. <laughs> Don't do this job. So I did. I, I took his advice. And wow. I, hey, good. I'm glad that I did. It doesn't mean that I abandon archaeology. I still try to keep up with a bit. I'm, I'm interested in it. But mostly I'm interested in it for the, its kind of imaginative qualities. I had a professor that once told me that once you can start to imagine in your mind's eye the Greeks walking around, speaking their own language in their environment, you know, that's when it gets really exciting. And that's what archaeology is, is you're looking at this landscape, you're digging in the ground, but you're actually touching the stones that the last people that touched them were the ancients. And you're unearthing pottery and remains that haven't been touched for, you know, thousands of years in some cases. So you can't help but have your imagination stimulated a little bit. You know, you've got a lot of time on your hands to let it wander. Yeah. And it sort of makes me think of the people that are professionals in these fields, archaeology or historians or writers. What's been the reaction from, I'll put quotes around it, real historians to the show? I bet you hear from a pretty wide swath of people here as your audience. Uh, Yeah. And I would say that the people that I have the most contact with who um, are of the historical persuasion are other podcasters. They're history podcasters, specifically. I've kind of gotten myself into that community. And, you know, I've discovered them because I saw on their websites, they said, you know, in their recommended podcast listening sections, they listed the Twilight Histories. And I saw the link back to my website. So I contacted them and said, hey, you know, who are you? What are you all about? And so I've made some friends that way. And you've inspired some other shows too. I was going to say, I asked you about what your inspirations are and you've inspired in turn some other people. You mentioned a couple shows, Voices from the Ages and Story Engines. So how do you feel when you see, now you've been at this a while, you you start to inspire people. That must be something. That must be like you're the artifact getting dusted off a little and inspiring people. Yeah. Well, it's 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 an interesting thing because you always sort of look to the guys that have been doing it for a long time and you see that you're kind of an offshoot of them and you never think that others are going to be an offshoot of you. <laughs> but yeah. I guess it it does happen. Kevin Valbanesi from Voices from the Ages, uh, it was kind of an interesting thing. He he wrote me and and I kind of coached him for a while on how to do a podcast and, and how to write a script for one. And, and then I didn't hear from him for, I, I don't know, maybe about a year or so. So I kind of 
you know, he was off my radar. And then in iTunes, I saw this new podcast pop up, Voices from the Ages. I clicked on it. I, I started listening to it. And immediately I started to hear things in it, you know, little turns of, you know, little quips, the way that he spoke and the way he wrote, that it kind of sounded like me a little bit. So, you know, I was like, hey, what's this? And then I wrote him, you know, saying, hey, I just saw your podcast. Love it. It's great. You know, where'd you, uh, you know, where did this come from? And then I was quickly reminded that we had this conversation a long time ago. So it's interesting how things come back. It's a pretty vibrant community of people, what I find, be it on Twitter or Facebook. And one thing that you did sort of with this prestige that you have from doing this well-known, really fascinating show that people are passionate about is you started the History Podcast Forum on Facebook. I didn't know you were connected to it at first until I saw the name, but mm -hmm. tell us what happens there and what people can learn because that's a it's a closed group and not that it's closed in the sense that you don't want anyone in there. You certainly want people on it, but it really seems like a lot of good stuff pops up in my feed when I became a member of that group. Yeah. So I started the group a number of years ago when I was, I guess, kind of just starting out and I wanted to be able to connect with other podcasters, other history podcasters, as I kind of identified myself with the history genre at that time. I was just doing straight history and it was kind of like fictional history. And so I, I wanted to connect with other history podcasters and I saw that there wasn't anything anywhere. You could maybe go to individuals' websites and contact them, but it really felt like it was kind of a, a lonely hobby where you would kind of do it on your own and you wouldn't interact with other people that were doing the same thing. So I created the History Podcast group on Facebook as sort of a solution for that. And it didn't take off. You know, it was like a year of me doing it all on my own, just posting things and hoping that the odd person would show up. Then I invited Jamie Redfern from the History Of podcast to join me. I gave him admin privileges and he became an admin and he started inviting people. And then together we kind of built it. And as we speak now, it's pretty close to 4,000 people are on there and it's just growing every day. You know, I'm, I'm just clicking through, you know, accepting new people, you know, at a rate of maybe 10 a day. Wow. So it's vibrant. It's even got to the point now where some people are saying it's at a good spot now and don't let it grow anymore because <laughs> you start to lose the human element. You know, yeah, they do want to make it an exclusive yeah. group. Yeah, they're in now. Well, we're yeah, in. <laughs> but I, I, I'm I fine. You know, let, yeah. let in the peanut gallery. But there have been some great things that have come out of it. You know, we have the History Podcasters podcast, its own thing, which has a blog and it's a collaborative podcast where we have, I, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 podcasters that have contributed to it, little 10 minute segments. And then we bundle those together and ship them off as shows. And then there have been new shows that have appeared out of it. So I thought, you know, it would be interesting to hear more shows that were biographies of famous individuals, you know, Bismarck or Caesar or Hitler. And so I put it out to the group and said, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, why not do a biography? You know, it's easy. You can fire it off in 20 shows and it'll give you experience. We need more podcasters out. We need more content. So give it a shot. And from that, that one thread, I saw Cameron O'Reilly and Ray Harris from the World War II podcast. They interacted together and out of that came the Life of Caesar podcast, which is now, you know, one of the top ranking history podcasts. It's been featured on iTunes. So it's sort of this 
a nebula, <laughs> if you will, of new shows, history podcasts. So it's kind of neat. It's neat that it's actually contributed to the genre. Our guest today on the History Author Show is Jordan Harbour, writer, producer, and actor of the Twilight Histories podcast, and the man who set up the History Podcast Forum that we were just talking about for like-minded people. Very nice of him to give back, I guess, as they like to say today, to the community of people that are looking to really tap into it, learn about all the little things, editing, research that he does. You can climb into Jordan's time machine, which, unlike ours, is capable of traveling sideways and into the future, at twilighthistories.com. That's your stargate to a feast of Jordan's offerings and where we hope you'll click through to his Facebook page, Twitter, and members-only content. Now, members-only, I can sense people's ears picking up out there. Explain to people what they get when they become a member at your website. The reason why I, I started the members area was because I love doing these shows. I love writing. I love doing podcasting. And really, it's something that I feel frustrated with that I have a job that where I can't do that full time. You know, it, it takes up so much time, you know, sometimes 20, 30, 40 hours for a show, just one show, especially with having, you know, two young kids and having friends and it's just a life in general. Really what I would ultimately like to do is do the Twilight Histories full time or some variations of it or branch out or write novels for it or whatnot. And so I started the, the membership area as a way to kind of hopefully one day switch me from doing my present job for the government to writing full time. It's a humble dream that I have. I, I don't you know anticipate making millions at it, but I think that that would be a satisfying life. And so that's why I'm doing this. I'm not charging a lot of money for it. Now, what you get is essentially each month I put out a new time travel show and it's members only it's a separate show it's a separate story but it kind of expands on the twilight history's world i try to put out a free show as often as i can which seems to be once every six to eight weeks but i really attempt to do the the members show more frequently i think it's worth it for people to think about it it's tough because you start off thinking podcasts are free and once you get something for free it's hard to make that leap to paying for it but for me, I say, this guy's putting work into it. He's not getting bandwidth free or time, as you were just saying. It's time away from your family. It's time away from your regular job. It's time away you get a little part-time job. And I think that's one of the tough things is people need to realize that you have bills to pay too. And if they do enjoy it, hey, why not go try out the members' content? As you said, it's not a lot. I suppose for us here in the U.S., it varies with the Canadian dollar, but still, you know, people can remember you and go there and try to give you a little bit of a boost and let you see that when you speak to that you, you really are speaking to the individual listener, no matter what tense you use. So I definitely wanted to plug that, at least look into it. I clicked through and looked and see it. And well, thank you. Why not? Why not try to fill the tip jar a little bit. You know, we have an <laughs> Amazon banner up there on the website and it's just nice when you see somebody click through and they bought the book on Ty Cobb after our interview with uh, Charles Learson or they bought the book Supreme City after our interview with Don Miller or a couple of Star Trek books that I mentioned just in the first pilot. That happened to be the one that they decided that they would go and buy. And it's nice to get a little, that sound of coin that falls into the cup. It means people appreciate what you're doing. And I had one more question about 
this sort of alternate history idea and this what's at stake in history going to distant paths. What do you think when you are building a world? First of all, how long does it take and where do the ideas come from? But what do you think separates what you try to do and your skills from, say, bad alternate history or bad time travel adventures like, you know, this Super Friends stuff is all very for kids. I don't know if you watched it up there in Canada, but we, you look at it now and you say, well, there was really never anything at stake. And in your shows, always seems to be something is at stake for the you character. So for me, for the listener and I just wanted to know, how do you build those worlds and how do you make sure that you really do have something at stake every week in the plot? Well, it's interesting that you should use that word stake and at stake because that's really exactly what I say to myself. And I'm always asking myself amongst a numerous, a number of other things. Um, that's probably the most key is raise the stakes. So I always ask myself, is there a way that I can raise the stakes even more? So Aunt Myrtle's comb and who took it, the gardener or was it, you know, the chef, you know, the stakes aren't that high. But if it's, you know, the barbarians are coming down, they've wiped out all the legions of the north, and there's one guy that survived, and he has to rush down to Rome and let them know and prepare them for this barbarian invasion. I mean, that's high stakes, right? That's yeah. the end of the Roman Empire. So it's always about raising the stakes. How can we raise them a little bit higher? But that's different from creating a world. Raising stakes can be in any genre how I create the worlds. It really starts with, I mean, it could be a song. It could be something that I see, something that I read. There's just some kind of spark that happens that makes me interested in kind of a possible different world. And then once I start exploring that further, then I ask myself, you know, what's the most fascinating thing about this world. Start listing those things off. You know, if you were a tourist and you were to visit this world, what would you want to see? I list them all out. And then those are the different scenes that we're going to go to, you know, the different areas. And I try not to double up so you don't go to the same place twice. You know, each scene is, I try to set it in a, in a different area. And then counter to that, I ask, well, what's the most terrifying thing about this world? What are the worst things? And then those are our kind of plot devices, the things that we're going to have to encounter in that world. But everything else is character-driven. So we take characters and we put those characters in those situations and in that world and allow them to explore it and solve the problems on their own rather than set out the, the parameters of the plot ahead of time and then afterwards say, okay, well, now we'll give the character a name who experiences that. No, it has to be character-based. And I like to switch it up, you know, change it between female, male, black, white. In the next show that I'm putting out, it's going to be one of the main characters is going to be in a wheelchair. So I like to keep variety in there to always keep it spicy and always keep it new and fresh. And also when creating worlds, I don't like to have two that are set in the ancient world in a row. You know, I like to have one in the ancient world, one in the modern, one in the ultra futuristic, one in kind of a very distant alternate history that's really exotic and strange and then one that's very familiar. It's exactly like a serial show, The Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits or X-1, where there is that variety. And I want mm -hmm. people not to get the idea that if they listen to one show and they say, well, they're not into alternate history or I'm not into sci-fi. If you liked any of those shows, I would definitely look at the whole 
broad menu of things that you have because I didn't realize until I kind of started digging into it when I first found it that, wow, this guy does more than just alternate history. Because as we said, how many times can you kill Hitler and <laughs> see what the world would be like or change uh -huh. the Civil War or change the War of 1812 or whatever? <laughs> I don't think it's much written on that, but maybe once maybe uh, once you get around to that, you'll you'll see if we could still be a united North America under the crown. I'm amazed that you can do so much variety. Most people just like to do one thing. I, I have it easy. I could just bring in a different author. If I get <laughs> bored of World War II, I can do next week Ty Cobb, or I do, oh, Jazz Age New York City, which I particularly love, and I can visit that. Or the, the variety lends itself to this format. And I really admire that you didn't go into it saying, oh, I have to wear this straight jacket, especially coming from a film background. You didn't say, well, I have to do the same thing. My listeners expect it. You just put out good content. It seems to be your goal. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure you do. <laughs> but you just wanted yeah. to put out good content and knew that the audience would follow you. And they really seem to be enjoying it. Although I did, while you were talking, want to ask if you ever get any angry email like from people who say Napoleon would never do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah? yeah absolutely. <laughs> The angry emails are, you know, they're not really angry so much. Well, sometimes they are, actually. Let's let's be honest. But <laughs> oh, people can get so excited about Napoleon. I guess I'm one of them. But I really value that kind of feedback. You know, I've had someone that wrote in that was really upset about a portrayal that I had of Muslims in a good light. The ones that I really do value, especially from alternate history people that say your physics is wrong. <laughs> you, you've broken some law of alternate history physics. Those are valuable. Or if I made a continuity error, you know, the reason why we have the robotic arm appearing in multiple shows now, and I'm not sure when we're going to get rid of the robotic arm, but a listener wrote in and said, hmm, I wonder if the robotic arm is going to be in the next show. <laughs> You know, as a side, there was a, a show where um, an arm was lost and a robotic arm was, was added onto the you character, you. So, yeah, I um, just got my robot arm the other day and I was like, oh, I guess it's kind of cool, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know what happens in the EMP hits, but hey, I'll, I'll keep the robot arm as long as you let <laughs> well, me. So <laughs> when you have you a chance go. to have a robot arm, take it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I really do listen to the feedback and it's not always valuable, but when it is, it's mission critical, and it actually does really improve the quality of the show. So I do value it. Napoleon, by the way, Ty Cobb's favorite historical figure, that book by Charles Lerson is really mm -hmm. something. It's all sorts of things you never thought about this guy, Ty Cobb, who had this terrible reputation based on a hack biography. But you don't lean just on somebody like a Napoleon. You sometimes go back and you meet just an average person or you go into the future or you meet a whole race of people that never existed. And that seems like it would be something maybe out of your archaeology. I suppose sometimes when you dig something up, you must have a lot of wondering, have that imagination. And I wanted to ask if you had that when you were young, like, was that something you, did you play a lot of imaginary games when you were a child? Oh, sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I grew up uh, in a school that had a great forest behind it. And that's where I'd play. We always kind of looked at the kids that played on the cement with the painted squares with the numbers on them and, and the balls. And we kind of looked at that and thought it was a bit odd. You know, I'd go and play with those kids and I'd find it. It wasn't stimulating. You know, we would yeah. just be throwing a ball back and forth and I'd say, I need to get back to that forest. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's, there's dragons to be slain, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, then I got into a lot of reading. You know, I read a lot of fantasy novels and and when I got to uh, grade seven and we did 
a unit on ancient history, uh, I discovered, hey, these ancient people, like their world is even more fantastic than the fantasy novels I'm reading. Like it's, it's more in depth, it's broader, it's, they've got better costumes. So that's when I got into the ancient world, at least in history and decided I wanted to be an archaeologist because the archaeologists were the ones that were the closest to those people. You know, they actually traveled to the place where they lived and touched the stones that they touched. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. And I bet you were a big Indiana Jones fan then when that came out. And then you learned about archaeology and realized that's not what it's really like. Huh? You didn't have yeah, any well, students throwing themselves at you uh, in class. So, um, Oh, well, I've, I've never had that. But <laughs> no, actually, Indiana Jones, I, it's kind of funny because I didn't actually watch Indiana Jones until quite a bit later. I think I was huh. in high school when I finally saw it. it no, I, that's not why I got in. And then I liked Indiana Jones after that, but I, I was always a little confused as to, you know, that's not what my idea of archaeology <laughs> yeah. was, was, you know, fighting Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, they seem to come up a lot in history. That's one of the things, like, I don't know if you watch the Venture Brothers cartoon, but he says at one point, what is it with cloning Hitler? It's like the only thing that these <laughs> right. neo-Nazis ever think about. It's That's all they want to <laughs> do is try to clone him. So, yeah, that uh -huh. seems to come up a lot. And all time travelers want to do is go back and kill him. Yeah, right. <laughs> it seems to be a big part of what the activity list is. Like, first thing on the top yeah. of the line there, kill Hitler, <laughs> save Lincoln. In. That's a very short to-do list. <laughs> okay, Jordan, I know you have world building to do and dragons to slay and imagining <laughs> to get out of the way tonight. So let me ask you one final question, which mm -hmm. perhaps comes as no surprise since I'm a fan of the show. What's the long-term plan for the Twilight Histories? Give us a sneak peek. Yeah, well, I mean, if you could imagine if the membership area kind of allows me to replace my government job with writing full-time, I'd love to write more frequent shows. I'd love to write novels to go along with them. I come from kind of a multimedia background when I was doing film, and I'm interested in, in seeing what's out there. You know, if you could imagine maybe meeting someone that does animation and, and they get really excited about the Twilight histories and, and then maybe there's a, a way to do, you know, an animated Twilight history short or something. Like, I'm open to all these ideas. I'd love to kind of expand it and expand the world and see where it could go. I don't have any sort of fixed point in the future and, and that's exactly what it's going to look like. But basically a kind of a shotgun approach. I'd like to see where it could go and I'm open. And I'm excited. I, I, I want to see this world explored more. Well, no surprise that when you look to the future, you see many varying timelines and adventures and people and possibilities because your show is all about possibilities. Uh, again, I'm really enjoying it. And I want to thank you for crossing your timeline with mine today. It has been a lot of fun, and I hope that people listening enjoyed the glimpse at the sort of Rod Serling, and I mean that as my highest compliment <laughs> in the world of sci-fi slash fiction slash alternate history slash fantasy writing. You're really the guy there standing in front of the terminal sign at the airport for all of us. And thank you so much for sharing it and stepping out from behind the microphone today. Ah, great. Really appreciate you having me on. Thanks very much. Again, the show is the Twilight Histories Podcast, and the Facebook group is the History Podcast Forum. No book to plug this week, but we hope if you're buying a new flux capacitor at Amazon.com, you'll click through their banner at our website. We get a few credits every time you do. Once again, thank you, Jordan, for letting us look under the hood of your time machine. 
please remember to visit him at twilighthistories.com. And while you're there, express your support through the links to his Twitter and Facebook accounts. And remember, we want to hear what you thought of this interview. You can reach us on Twitter at HistoryDean or at Facebook.com slash HistoryAuthor. I hope you'll join us next time for another trip into the past here on iHeartRadio or wherever you're listening. And remember, if you do subscribe to us on iTunes, please leave a review. Well, that's it for this week's special installment of the History Author Show. So until next time, thanks so much for listening. And happy time traveling. We still call it Broadway, but what's in a name? Take it from Georgie, it isn't the same. On the east side, west side, things ain't like before. There are tears in the eyes of the regular guys. Oh, New York ain't New York anymore. There's dragons to be slain, folks.